This is the Kibasa King Sports Extravaganza. Hey, 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 Yakshamash. Club to you too, Rona. You know, really, I love your style. I love the way you edit things together. Well, thanks for noticing. It's a real pain. We welcome to the show Christian Leitner. Yeah, I'm proud of my heritage, and my mother used to make a lot of delicious meals, kapusta, bumpy, pierogi, all that good stuff. I put sour cream on everything, and um, so <laughs> a, lot of, a, lot of, a lot of Polish tradition there. Yak Shamash, everybody. Welcome to the Kielbasa King Sports Extravaganza. Of course, brought to you by Bucky's Fifth Quarter. Uh, and uh, actually, yeah, the big thing uh, brought to you, I should say, by RentCollegePads.com, beginning the new year off. Uh, this is Bucky's Fifth Quarter and the Kielbasa King Sports Extravaganza, brought to you by RentCollegePads.com. And uh, this is Jake Kokorowski. Welcome, everybody. New Year. Lots of big things going on today. You got the Badgers and Maryland tipping off. You noon ESPN. We got Kurt Hogue uh, coming on in about four minutes, breaking down the Wisconsin Badgers and Maryland Terrapins and see if the Badgers can somehow even up their record against one of the top five teams in the nation. We'll talk about that. Obviously, uh, on top of that, it's around the same time, noon Eastern time on NBC. You have the U.S. Army All-American Bowl, and from there, you have two Wisconsin Badgers verbal commits. You have Garrett Rand, four-star out of Chandler, Arizona, out of Hamilton High School. Big guy, can bench press a ton if you haven't seen the his Twitter account. Uh, pretty impressive. I think he can do about 550, if not longer. Hopefully, we can get him on the show one of these days to uh, confirm those numbers, but they also have... Out of Green Bay, from Bayport High School, you have Cole Van Lannan, who, according to 24-7 Sports, is trying to go for his fifth star. At least that's what they're talking about. Uh, but uh, from there, obviously one of the most highly touted recruits uh, and, and noted through rivals in 24-7 Sports, but, and also, of course, Scout.com and BadgerNation.com. So we'll see uh, how those two fare. They are on the West squad. And uh, we have more. I'm just waiting for the Polish rifle, Scott Wisniewski, to come on board, uh, and it, the birthday boy may be uh, just a little bit late to the party. From there, though, uh, big news, Isaiah Loudermilk from Kansas, a uh, played eight-man football, and that's what's really interesting here. He, from Howard, Kansas, committed to Wisconsin over Kansas State and Oregon on Thursday, and it was a big... Uh, big thing for him, and uh, just looking at his stats, it looks like uh, get him up in the weight room. This guy could be a very, very athletic, very gifted player uh, on either side of the ball. And you know, he had 13 Power Five offers, according to our Andrew Rosin. Looking at Arizona State, Oklahoma State as well, along with his home state. Kansas State, uh, and then also Oregon, which is big. I mean, you know, the Badgers did a good job there. Uh, they did miss out on uh, the um, on Thomas Schaefer, who committed to Stanford, also another defensive line prospect. But uh, Loudermilk seems to fit the bill. Uh, we'll see how the transition to eight, from eight-man football back to uh, the eleven-man goes. Uh, but he could be a very, very great uh, big force uh, in coming years. But we'll see how that goes. Other than that, I just want to see how you guys are doing with the new year. Obviously, we I talked about it earlier. We have a new sponsor, and, you know, let, let's talk about this. We, we're Bucky's Fifth Quarter, the Kielbasa King Sports Extravaganza. Uh, our show today is po- is brought to you by RentCollegePads.com, and, and we just want to thank our presenting sponsor, Rent College Pads, for their support of the Kielbasa King Sports Extravaganza. And, you know, finding off-campus housing has always been a chore until now. About, you know, browse tons of properties on Rent College Pads today. They have all the best apartments and houses around campus and in Madison. Find your next place on Rent College Pads today. And make sure you guys check it out. Like I said, great guys over there. Big thanks to Baxter and the gang. Uh, looking forward to continuing this partnership uh, beginning this new year. 
And from there, uh, looks like we we have one of our guests here. Uh, we have uh, still waiting on the Polish rifle, Scott Wisniewski, but uh, in his place we have uh, one of the most talented writers we have on Bucky's Fifth Quarter, if not the most, in my opinion. Everyone's great. Everyone's great at Bucky's Fifth Quarter. Don't get me wrong. Like this, yeah, but uh, Kurt, oh, yeah, Kurt Hogue is uh, one of our writers. Uh, does basketball? Does football? Kurt, good morning to you. And uh, how's the new year starting off for you? Hey, Jake, how's it going? It's it's going well. It's been a nice start to 2016. How are you doing, man? Doing well. We're doing well. Uh, you know, a little bit of a, a busy start for the for those that don't know. I mean, obviously, we, we'd love to make writing and, and podcasting a career, but uh, for the <laughs> day career, has been quite the uh, busy time. So doing eight to nine uh, big events for the day career, and now things are finally winding down. So. Yeah, it's going to take a nice relaxing weekend. Things have been going well, though, otherwise. But, you know, kind of transitioning, the, the Wisconsin Badgers, you know, they obviously did not start the year off right. A couple, of, I think at least three one-possession losses and non-conference play. But, they, you know, with Greg Gard now in as interim head coach, you've started to see some progress. You're starting to see, you know, and correct me if I'm wrong, more the swing offense elements. You're seeing more of the fact that the um, you have uh, I, you know more the bench being used. Uh, what are you seeing from this team now? Kind of a broad question. Ever since Greg Gard took over. Well, what you're seeing is they're playing good defense. Also, it started when when Bo Ryan was around. It's not like all of a sudden uh, the, the head coach switches and they start playing good defense. But they held Indiana to. 59 points, under one point per possession. They did the same with Rutgers, did the same with Purdue. I mean, they've they've made it a regular thing under guard of how holding their points, to, or they're holding their opponents to under a point per possession, which is obviously a big staple of the Bo Ryan era. Um, that's been one of the things, I mean, you mentioned the other two. They've, they've started running the swing a little bit more and going a little deeper on the bench. But what's also is what's also as just as important is that what they're not doing, and that's still that they're not scoring, and that cost them against Indiana, that cost them against Purdue, who in all in all fairness is the best defensive team in the country. But they they have seemed to not have figured things out yet, even though they do run the swing sometimes, and and that can that can get them moving the ball and getting their spacing a little better on offense, but that's that's still the one big piece that's missing. Yeah, we're here with Kurt oh, Kurt Hogg from or Kurt you know Hogue. Kurt Hogue from you know yeah. Bucky, obviously. Uh yeah, trust me, being Polish, uh you know, as the Scott as a Polish rifle Scott Wisniewski is as well with Kokorowski, we always try to get the names right. Uh just uh, uh when you have with with this with that uh the big ten play and obviously you know, and you mentioned stuff with just uh, the past couple of games, uh, and then they go, they're one and two. And what's interesting is that they could have been three and zero heading into tonight, today's matchup against the Maryland Terrapins. Uh, what needs to happen against Maryland, who's boasting a bunch of talent, top five team, very potent, and obviously there's the storyline with former Wisconsin, uh, with uh, Wisconsin native Diamond Stone, who obviously chose the Terrapins over. The Badgers in the spring. What, in your opinion, uh, do what does Bucky, what does Wisconsin need to do uh, against the Terps? I'll I'll put it at three things. Three things in particular. One is that they need to avoid any sort of scoring drought that has it's mired them in so countless games this year. I mean, it happened against Georgetown. It happened against Western Illinois, Marquette, UWM. Even some games that they've won, like UW-Green Bay, it happened against Purdue, it happened against Indiana. They just go a few minutes without a field goal, without scoring, and seem to just get in the funk. So they need to avoid that against arguably the best team they faced. Um, they played Oklahoma, but you could you could say Maryland is better than Oklahoma. I mean, that's to be debated at this point. But uh, I would say the second thing is they need to force Maryland – into taking contested jump shots. If Diamond Stone bullies them down low, guys like him, Demonte Dodd, uh, Jake Lehman, they got NBA length in the front court, so if they bully the Badgers down low, it's going to be a long day. 
So if you, uh, you're going to have to force Maryland into taking some contested jumpers and hope that maybe they just have a, a bad shooting day. Um, that's part of it. And then I would say the third thing on the other end is, in their own right, is they need Nigel, They need a good game from Nigel Hayes. They need an efficient game from him. We've seen him go, what, he, he took, I think, 14, 14 or 15 field goals on Tuesday against Indiana, made three of them, I believe, and his field goal percentage is at 36%. He's shooting 28% from deep. Um, they need a big game from him in particular to get this team going. So it's going to be tough to beat a Maryland team without a, a good game from your best player. Now, Kurt, let me, let me ask you a question about this team in general. Now, obviously we knew losing the players they were losing that there was going to be a little bit of a step back while this team rebuilt a little bit. But do you think there was a little bit too much pressure or too much high expectations put on Hayes um, with such a young team as him being the leader? Because I, I know people weren't expecting him to win 20 regular season games or anything like that, but I thought offensively they'd be better. I thought that at this point they'd be a little further along. I didn't expect them to win the Big Ten in such a, a tough conference, but I guess there's just been some general disappointment about some of the games they lost uh, during the non-conference season and the way they've played in stretches. So is some of that just that the expectations on, on Nigel Hayes were – maybe a little bit uh, uh, too high to, to maintain? And I mean, if you if you watch Nigel Hayes over his first two years, it's a good question that he looked like a guy that could handle that. And now it's maybe looking a little bit more like, okay, I mean, we all know Nigel Hayes is still a very good basketball player. That's not in question. Maybe he, he was, or I mean, it was definitely an aid for him to be able to just take guys one-on-one down in the post, draw fouls, because he had so, they had so many other weapons that, you know, if you double-team Nigel Hayes down low, oh, you're going to leave Josh Gosser wide open for three, you know, something like that. And now it's, oh, you double-team Nigel Hayes down low, and he's got to kick it out to a freshman, Khalil Iverson, who's not really an offensive threat, and they'll sort of just reset the offense. So... I'm not necessarily sure it's as much the pressure on Nigel Hayes mentally as it is the challenges that he's faced physically in terms of defenses and uh, teams putting that sort of pressure on him. Um, But it's still been a start from him and also from Bronson Canning that you would have liked a better start, and I think that would have given the Badgers at least a couple more wins here. To you know, eleven and five instead of nine and seven, big difference there. We're here with Kurt Hogue here on uh, Bucky's fifth quarter in the Casa King Sports Extravaganza, brought to you by RentCollegePads.com. And Kurt, you you head out and uh, you know with uh, before we maybe uh, switch topics to, to some Miranda talk. Uh, you know, we, you Brent, you gave your your three points to the game. What's your prediction for today's game against Maryland? I was telling a couple of telling a couple of my friends. I have a feeling is that the Badgers are just going to win this one, you know. But if I was a betting man, um, which I will not reveal to the NCAA whether I am or am not, but if I I would I would still take Maryland um, by about I'll take Maryland by six, probably around uh, sixty-six to sixty. We'll go with that. But I, 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 I'll, I'll leave the chance open that the Badgers sneak away. They steal a victory against Maryland, which is rare for them to you know, steal a win at home. But okay. Gotcha. Um, gotcha. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jump into the, the Dave Aranda talk a little bit just by saying this, and I'm just going to get it out there. I think the Wisconsin Badgers are a perennial top 20 football program, sometimes top 10 program in this country. And I think it's a shame that they don't pay their assistant coaches like that. And I've thought this before Aranda left. I I thought that it was just something that I found uh, that would hurt their competitive edge. Uh, You know, they've done a great job finding talent and recruiting and doing all these things. But now they lose uh, 
one of the best defensive coordinators they've ever had, one of the best defensive coordinators in the country, a guy who did a lot. Don't get me wrong, that was a talented defense, but his scheme and the way it all gelled was the catalyst for that team this year. Gone over to LSU, uh, he'll face the Badgers as they start the season next year. But is, is this something that the, the, the school's going to have to change? Now, they're never going to pay like Alabama or LSU. I get that. But do you think they'll figure out a way to get their assistants a little bit more money to at least keep them competitive salary-wise to keep this from happening in the future? Yeah, it's you really don't know how much that is the athletic department saying we don't really want to pay these assistant coaches that much. I mean, even Paul Christ is the ninth highest paid head coach in the Big Ten, which was a bit of a surprise for me to see that. I was thinking he'd be more around the middle of the pack, but um, yeah, like I was saying, you don't know how much of that is the athletic department and Barry Alvarez that are kind of sold on you know, giving these guys their current salaries and how much of that is just the situation that the university is in where, like the the Tom Oates uh, article in the State Journal said yesterday, that it's it's still an academic institution first with, with a football team second, and the donors that give the money to the university are the ones giving it to research into those buildings instead of like at LSU and Alabama, where instead of the boosters supporting the university, they support the football team first. Gotcha, gotcha. And it, 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 it's it's rough with that, too, when you have the fact that, and like you said, Scotty, they're not going to have that ability with the one, you know, they're not going to pay Dave Aranda the $1.3 million per year, mm-hmm. which uh, yeah, the biggest thing I think too with that is that the simple fact that you have, uh, if you pay Aranda 1.3 million, then you're gonna have, and Joe Rudolph is paid more than Aranda right now, and so it uh, was at least uh, at Wisconsin. So jack that up, you know. So then you, Joe Rudolph, who's done a wonderful job with that offensive line, trying to gel four redshirt freshmen into a cohesive group, which at the end of the year they did, and facing all the the calamities and injuries. Especially to their starting center uh, and Dan Volts, you know, like so maybe he wants a raise. And then uh, Ted Gilmore, who's raised the bar for the wide receivers, and everyone else wants to ask a raise. So it's just hard. But but I know what you're saying, where they'll need to, you know, there's a chance that they'll need to start, uh, you know, they'll they'll need to start upping that pay. Uh, but also on top of that too, you have the fact that uh, with with I think it was the UW Badgers article. Like I mean, they 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 were it was a quick a very quick turnaround from what people have said. It, it's, it was a at right after the holiday bowl is a discussion Thursday by Friday. They're, they're wrapping up the contract. And uh, it sounded like from what it was said, I believe it was something on uwbadgers.com if I'm not mistaken, that they said that uh, there was a counter proposal, but I don't think there by, you know, by the badge, by UW, but I don't think there'd be any way. And I don't think it's just pay either. I think it's the talent. I mean, if LSU is not a top five, top five, 10 defense in every category, in my opinion, with that amount of talent that LSU has, uh, I mean, in, you just see what Aranda's done. It is, even in his first year in 2013 with a 3-4 de- you know, defense installing it instead of a 4-3 with players that were not a part of that scheme. You know, and, and you know, I've mm-hmm. talked to some former players where that scheme itself was really difficult. Where, you know, these guys are meant to be four-three players, and then they transition to that three-four, and you know, it took some adjustment, but they all bought in, and and they bought in, and and you saw the results having to be like a top ten, top fifteen defense in the last two years. They've been really solid, outside of some minor blips, and just imagine what this team can do, what Aranda can do in LSU installing a defense and, and, you know, he's, he's done four threes at Hawaii. I think at, he mentioned in an article uh, he with, at, with the advocate, he did a three, three, five at Delta state. And then he went over to the three, four uh, for, for yet Utah state and at Wisconsin, they have, I mean, he'll adapt like any good coach, like Chris did as well with, with Stave and the rest of the players, he'll adapt to the characteristics and the strengths of his players and who they have. Uh, but like I said, it, with that talent and the the recruiting classes, I I think it was part of it was money, but I also feel that I mean there's that opportunity really to have that uh, to tap into some pipeline, you know, a, a really rich pipeline of of talent that's uh, an annual thing at LSU, and I I think 
it'll only take them even farther, uh, whether it's a head coaching position somewhere or uh, to the NFL, where a lot of people still think he'll wind up. Uh, and, and who knows, maybe he'll wind up being Dom Capers replacement down the road uh, for Green Bay Packers defensive coordinator. But uh, yeah, but no, it, it, it's, it's rough though. And it, uh, I mean, going forward though, I mean, Kurt, you have this, you have this fact with these, you have still a lot of talent. Vince Beagle's coming back. Uh, your your front seven, essentially, outside of Joe Schobert, is coming back, and they'll be a year stronger. Uh, and essentially, I mean, Jack Sitchie will move back outside, and you're looking at the fact that this is the fact that they'll still have seven starters returning, uh, essentially, on the front seven. The only real problem or maybe question mark would be the safeties, where you're losing both Mike Caputo and Tanner McAvoy, uh, and, and also one cornerback in Darius Hillary, but they're still, I mean, in your opinion, like what's, what's your thoughts on, on the defense going for going forward after post Aranda? Yeah. Well, I mean, it'd be interesting to see what, who, what name they plug in there to be the defensive coordinator. Will they go in house or will they go elsewhere to, to fill that void? Um, but regardless, like you mentioned, they have seven starters coming back. And the biggest question would be in the secondary, Sojourn Shelton's the only returning starter. But then again, Derek Tyndall, who I believe was a redshirt junior, was it? No, he was actually a, a, he was a, he's a true sophomore. Oh, he's a true sophomore. Okay, wow. So Tyndall will still be a, a, a true junior. And then... They'll have, they'll, I mean, and he's been playing nickelback, so they'll have him and, and Shelton at the two cornerbacks, along with um, Titus Booker coming in and playing the nickel, probably. And um, they also, it'll be interesting to see what they do with this incoming freshman class, in which they have a lot of defensive talent. And see yep. if any of those guys come in and, and play right away on the defensive end, especially at that open safety position. There'll be some competition there between the guys they currently have and the guys that are going to be coming in. So I don't know if we'll see. And it's unfair to really expect any defense to do what this year's defense did because that was just an incredible effort week in and week out. The fact that they won 10 games with that patchwork offensive line and without Corey Clement all year and losing while Rob Wheelwright and just their inefficiency offensively all season was it's just a complete testament to that, to those 11 guys on defense. But you'd still think that, you know, they're, they might drop a little bit in the rankings, might give up a few more points per game, but that's still a defense that will be in the top two or three in the Big Ten. You'd expect Absolutely. that at least. Absolutely. I, I think you'll get there too. Uh, Scotty, what else you got, brother? Well, I mean, generally you covered a little bit of that with, you know, the talent coming back and how important that is and obviously the recruiting class. Look, this program always finds a way to rebound and bounce back from all that stuff. It's just, again, frustrating when you lose talented coaches, and you're right, they weren't ever going to pay anybody, nor do I think uh, they should pay anybody over a million dollars, but sometimes you just get frustrated and you get caught up in the moment. And it's been a rough couple of years when you think about coaching. I mean, obviously the Gary Anderson thing, Bo Ryan retiring and, and then kind of retiring halfway through the season, which is a little frustrating because it's like they should just retire after the, the NCAA tournament if you weren't going to finish what you started. But, hey, you know, I have a question for you. I know that you're going to be doing some work uh, with Major League Baseball. Is that correct? That is correct. I'll be with the Brewers this summer. Excellent. Well, unfortunately, you're going to probably witness their, their only their second 100-loss season but let's shift gears because I really like what's going on with, with, with Stearns. And it's a tough rebuild. I mean, because you're essentially trying to rebuild the whole farm system, which up until about a year ago was one of the bottom three in, in, in Major League Baseball. So an interesting moves happening there. The, the latest talk is uh, perhaps shipping Chris Davis off for some more prospects so you can play Santana in left field because – Truly, he's a corner outfielder or first baseman. He's never going to be a true center fielder. But what other moves do you think could happen before the season? I mean, obviously, there's deadline moves that could happen with some of these players. But do you think Luke Curry gets shopped? 
I think that's less likely, but do you think maybe Davis gets chopped? Do they try to move some of these middle infielders that they seem to have uh, uh, too many of right now? Yeah, it seems like they're willing to sell anyone at this point, even Ryan Braun, if someone was willing to take on that contract, even though he did have you know, a, a pretty solid year last year. Um, if someone would take that contract and all the baggage that comes with that, they would trade him. Um, not so sure about Luproy. I still feel like they like they would be a little hesitant to pull that trigger just because of the lack of catching talent in the farm system. Right. Right. And that would leave an already handicapped team even more handicapped. But um, I could see them going out maybe signing another starting pitcher, uh, a veteran maybe coming off a a bad a bad year or a down year. Um, sort of a reclamation project like they're doing with Chris Carter. But yeah, you could see them honestly trading anybody at this point, including like you mentioned, Chris Davis, which they could get a, a favorable return on and he still has, I believe, four four years four five four yep, yeah, four or five. Um five years of team control I believe. And He's, there's a lot of value in his bat. He'll hit 25, 30 homers for you as a corner outfielder. So it's it's a mystery at this point. Sure. Well, I tell everybody because people are like, well, why would you trade Davis? He's young. He's got some upside. And I agree he does. But there's a new GM. There's a new regime. Chris Davis wasn't necessarily his guy. And if he can get other parts uh, that could help this team in two or three years. My last question about the Brewers, I know we'll get a chance to do this later on hopefully you'll you'll come back and join us because we can talk baseball for hours but talk about the pitching oh, you, you staff can. and well talk about the pitching staff a little bit and the young pitchers and, and, and there's some upside there but Matt Garza ended the season uh, essentially at odds with the Brewers he went home early they sent him home early and talking to to some of the, the my contacts on the team they said that they still expect him to be one of the the, the top of the the rotation guys even though i think mentally he's he's never really that his strong point has never been between the ears as far as toughness and makeup and that sort of thing how are they going to repair this get over this bridge i mean obviously they're paying him a lot of money and he still has some talent but again the way the season ended and, and him being at odds with the team I wonder how that plays out as we head into spring training in, in gosh, eight weeks. Yeah, it's, it's coming up. And um, you almost expect him or Willie Peralta to be the opening day starter. I mean, I, I would, you'd think that they're going to give Matt Garza sort of a, you know, ask him to be the leader in a young rotation where the next guy with experience is Willie Peralta who's in, I believe, his fourth year now. So, mm-hmm. And the Brewers, I'm sure, are hoping that they can get as much out of Matt Garza this in these next first three months of the season as possible, or first four months, because they still have to pay him a hefty amount for this season, as well as, I believe, I, I haven't looked at it in, the last, in a while, but I believe he's under contract for next season yeah, he is. With, yeah. with, an, with an option for 2018 as well which will be declined. But they would much rather have get four good months out of that guy and then send him away for prospects in July as opposed to paying him even more uh, for two years. So pe- people have questioned why he's even still on the team, why he's in the rotation after such just a bad year when there's other young arms that are looking to take the, take his place. But um, at the end of the day, he's he's still the most proven pitcher on the staff. Um, hopefully he can kind of be a leader for these young guys and um, prove and get his trade value back up because right now it's at about zero. Absolutely, and that's what people forget is in this market you can't just eat that salary and go have him go away. You have to rebuild him a little bit, try to get something out of him and make him marketable for somebody else if not for your mm-hmm. team. But anyway, I, we've taken up enough of your time already, and I certainly appreciate it. <laughs> Well, thanks, thanks for having me, guys. I'll, I'm headed over to the Cole Center in a few minutes here. So, awesome! And, and and Kurt, like I said, congratulations again on on, on the gig in the summer. Uh, it's going to be a great experience for you. And uh, like I said, one of the, one of the one one of the great writers at Bucky's Fifth Quarter. And uh, we'll talk soon. Obviously, I'm sure I'll be 
uh, conversing with you later on regarding all the fun game coverage that we provide over at Bucky's fifth quarter. But just mm-hmm. uh, yes, in, enjoy the game, and uh, we'll, we'll talk soon, my friend. All right. Thanks for having me, guys. Take care. Guys, that's Kurt Hogue from Bucky's fifth quarter here on Kielbasa King Sports Extravaganza brought to you by uh, brought to you by rentcollegepads.com. And uh, just to remind you guys as well, taking us a quick break on this part, we do like that we'd like to thank our presenting sponsor, Rent College Pads, for their support of the Kilbasa King Sports Extravaganza. Finding campus housing has always been a chore until now. For tons of properties at Rent College Pads today. They have all the best apartments and houses around campus and in Madison. Find your next place on Rent College Pads today. And so now we're uh, transitioning, Scotty. We have, uh, as Kurt gave some great breakdowns. Obviously, we were talking Wisconsin, Maryland. We had Dave Aranda. We uh, And just to kind of wrap up the Badgers talk after some Brewer stuff, uh, Badgers did receive a commitment on, uh, it was, uh, Back on Thursday, uh, we mentioned this a little earlier, from, uh, it was from Howard, Kansas, West, West Elk High School, a, a player that played an eight-man football. Uh, he's a 6'6", 275-pound man-child, I'll say, just because he's uh, he's still in his teens. But guy uh, sounds like Isaiah, Isaiah Loudermilk uh, will be, uh, he's, the, I believe, the 23rd commitment in this class, and uh, we'll see how that pans out, and obviously he'll have to adjust from eight man back to eleven man for college. Uh, and also, too, you have uh, two Wisconsin Badger verbal commits, Cole Van Lannen from Green Bay, Bayport High School, along with uh, Chandler Arizona from Hamilton High School, Garrett Rand, both high, highly four star uh, four star talents, playing the U.S. Yeah. Army All American Bowl, uh, twelve noon uh, twelve noon Central Time on NBC. And you know, despite I guess the and maybe this is the one last part we'll, we'll write up about it uh, about Badgers, but you know you have the simple facts, Scotty. You have these the Badgers with recruiting just in general, and obviously it's a topic that we'll see how they pan out. Uh, and obviously uh-huh. it's a walk-on program always. at UW. Yeah, you and I always talk about this, where you know, but the simple fact that UW and everyone I guess coming in where was worried about Paul Chris's recruiting tactic, or recruiting ways. Not and tactics is a bad word to put it. Just the way that he recruits, kind of laid back. He wants to do what's best for the kid. He wants the kid to think about it, uh, and, which is great. But you know, but he's not necessarily the go-getter that pressures people into commitments, which is, I think, a great. I think it's a great thing that he does. But people were worried about that, and now you're looking at, this, and yeah. most recruiting services have like they're at least in the top 30, right? Yeah, you know, right at the right or right just below the top 25. You look at 24/7 Sports. You look at Rivals.com. You look at Scout.com, which I think right now Scott Dow, when I checked last week. Uh, right after Loudermilk, I think they're right at the top 25 point, you know, part. They're they're recruiting and they're recruiting well and they're selling Wisconsin well, but also they get a commitment from a player that on defense that, you know, they don't have a defensive coordinator and they still get a defensive end commitment. So mm-hmm. I think it's interesting just to see how everyone is worried about the recruiting underneath Chris and he's gone out and uh, he's answered the bell in my opinion and they still got a full month until National Signing Day. You know, though, I, again, if you go back and you pull the class rankings, depending on which service you use, you know, the Badgers every year for the last 20 years, it's, yeah, maybe 10 years since Alvarez really built this program and then handed it over to, to Bielema, they're always ranked somewhere in the above 30, yet they're always, like, fifth in the conference, and they're usually behind teams like Penn State minus maybe a year or two during the the, the scandal there, and yet they're always better than most of the teams that, you know, record-wise, and most of the teams that are supposedly better. I mean, look how many years until this year when Jim Harbaugh uh, came back to Michigan. Michigan's recruiting class is always ahead of the Badgers, and yet the Badgers were always finishing for at least the last five, six years ahead of Michigan. So I just, I don't, I don't know. I just, it's so hard for me to care about it because. You know, there's always going to be the Ohio State's always going to be number one. We know that. Michigan's going to be two. Uh, Michigan State will probably have a better recruiting class this year than the Badgers. And then, you know, again, Penn State usually has a good one. And then the Badgers come in there somewhere. Sometimes Nebraska's ahead of them, sometimes not. But the Badgers, for the most part, except for Ohio State, every year have seemed to finish ahead of all those teams, obviously this year notwithstanding. But I just... I don't know, man. Like, it's just so hard. I mean, you know, Alabama and LSU and 
a handful of other SEC teams are all going to be in the top 10. Nothing ever changes in those recruiting things. Just get players in here that, you know, play hard, play well, fit your system, uh, stay out of trouble off, off the field and, and get good grades and do their thing. And I'm happy. I don't, I don't really care about how many stars this and how many stars that. I mean, it'd be different if we were, you know, uh, if this was Rutgers and, you know, the, t- the team perennially stinks and then you're like, oh, boy, their recruiting is horrible. But they're going to get the same kind of kids they tend to always get. And with the exception of a transfer like Russell Wilson, they're always going to get a quarterback who ends up being more of a game manager and not necessarily a playmaker, but fits the mold and fits the system of this team and whatever the coach happens to be. And so I know it's something to talk about. And I know there's a lot of money made on because of signing day becoming a thing about 10 years ago and, you know, more recruiting talk than ever. And I know that it's a topic and I know people care about it and that's fine. I mean, I'm not saying people shouldn't care. I just can't get amped up about it because it's the same. We hear the same things every year, yet the Badgers always seem to outperform whatever their recruiting class uh, is listed or labeled at. Right. Uh, and I agree with that too. I, I agree that, I mean, it's also kind of, I mean, obviously it's a big thing. It's recruiting. It's made money, you know, for, for various recruiting services and, and our, our good buddy, Ben Worrell, BadgerNation.com, they do a great job breaking down talent too. Uh, so it's oh, they're against great. That. And they're great. Yeah. I mean, they follow, yeah. they, they know, they have the ins and outs and that's what they do. And they do it really, really well. And obviously if, if I wouldn't even be able to do that well, if I committed and invested as much as those guys do, but I mean, they're, they're excellent. And there's a lot of people who are really good at it, and there's a lot of people who care about it, and that's awesome. But to me, it's just, you know, I want to see them on the field. I want to see them integrate themselves with this team and with the offense or the defense or the position that they're playing and, and, and kind of go from there. Because the other thing people forget, when you look at these recruiting rankings, the Badgers are usually, when they're drafting, drafting, sorry, when they're recruiting a, a defensive end, they're expecting him to be a starter. And they're recruiting a quarterback. Ohio State will bring in three quarterbacks. Well, they can't all start. Or they'll bring in three guys that are right tackles. You know, so like they always have this abundance. So I think where it helps teams like that is it in Alabama and whatnot. Is it helps them with their depth for sure. They'll always be deeper than maybe a team like the Badgers. But the Badgers starters are usually right there with everybody else who's ranked ahead of them. So. It really just comes down to when people look at that class, oh, look, at Ohio State's class is so much better than Wisconsin. Yeah, but they got three five-star quarterbacks that can't all play at the same time. You know what I mean? Right. It's just I think some of that gets skewed when people rank the classes and, and they don't really look at did they recruit for need, did they fill the needs they have. But a- anyway, whatever. I'm, I'm jumping off of my soapbox here for a second. No, it's all good. No, it's a um... – First off, uh, belated happy birthday. I know I texted, I, I, I sent, some, sent a couple of messages, but I didn't get a chance to actually call you yesterday amidst all the chaos that was going yeah, on. Yeah, no. But happy birthday. How how was your how was your birthday? You know, it's a I had a great night. I mean, I had fun. Uh, pretty low key and subdued. Uh, I'm 45 years old, man. The, the celebration is that I woke up and I'm still on this earth. So. Um, you know, it's funny, like, I, you know, I always wish, and I know it'll never happen, but I always wish that you could, you know, age, physically age, and then get to a point where, like, you start going backwards and you start feeling better every day, you know, from a pain-wise thing and whatever, but you know what, I'm happy to be here, I'm 45, I'm hoping I can make it another 45 years, but let's be completely honest and realistic, if I can get another 20 good years on this earth, I'll be pretty happy and fortunate, so... Oh, I yeah. sure as hell hope that happens. And, and, yeah, I mean, you know, with medical history and family health history and stuff, you know, if I can have a great quality of life, see my grandkids grow up and ultimately maybe get married and have kids of their own, I think I've had a pretty good life when it's all said and done. Indeed, indeed. With the now we're going to change up to the pro game, and obviously, uh, just as an FYI, we had an article up on Bucky's fifth quarter. Uh, three Wisconsin Badgers uh, named to the former Wisconsin Badgers being named to the Associated Press All Pro teams, uh, which is mm-hmm. impressive. On that note, you have the simple fact of uh, obviously JJ Watt is there, uh, but he, yeah. it's the Big Ten, which is a, almost a, him and Joe Thomas apparently are the. It's almost a precedent now since. Uh, you also have Travis Frederick, the Dallas Cowboys center. 
And uh, mm-hmm. Watt and Thomas were both named to the All Pro first team, while Travis Frederick was named to the second team. And uh, you know, it's, just looking at this stuff, Watt, it's his fourth time. Thomas, it's the sixth time on the first team. Uh, Frederick, it's the second time on the second, uh, yeah, second t- team honors for the second time in his, uh, you know, going on there. Uh, and Wisconsin only trailed LSU. Uh, yeah, LSU is uh, in terms of alumni that made it to the to the All Pro team. So it kind of shows you, like you mentioned, like and, and let's just talk about that too. Travis Frederick, I believe, was a two star. JJ Watt was a, a two star that was a walk on, and, right. and now, now they're making the big leagues there. Let me ask you though, right. real quick, so, as we kind of so to oh, my ahead. point. So to my point about recruiting and ratings and stuff sometimes. But anyway, right? Uh, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Quick left tackle Cleveland Browns a lot of craziness uh and even we before we talk about Packers like the game against the Redskins uh and obviously there's Davis uh, there's David Bakhtiari who's right now it looks like he's questionable with uh with an if I'm not mistaken looking at the injury part it was an ankle injury you look with that and, and there's a little bit with Joe Thomas him not being happy obviously he spent all of his career at you know in Cleveland do the Packers sure. entertain any thought, any thought with with just how bad the the, the depth been at times with the offensive line, the injuries, no. the fact that everybody you don't see Joe Thomas getting any mention going to no. Green Bay. No, 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 not from this current regime because the value of what they would have to give up. Let's be honest. You know, I, I Joe Thomas is the best left tackle. I'd love to have him wearing green and gold. So I understand that first and foremost, but. Cleveland's not going to give him away for a song. Um, whether, the, regardless of how unhappy he is, that's a messed up organization. That's a dysfunctional organization, but they're not that stupid. So you got to figure first round pick, second round, and a second rounder, maybe a first rounder one year and a second rounder the next. I don't see Ted Thompson doing that. I, I don't. Because he still thinks that his first round picks are going to end up being Joe Thomas level players someday. Now, know that that's unlikely because it's hard to be as good as that but i just don't see this regime doing it do i think they should do due diligence and ask sure but i just i don't think the price tag the return price tag is something ted thompson will be willing to relinquish Uh, but that's you know weirder things I, i suppose there's a better chance of that happening than me winning the powerball today but uh Oh, just like one in two hundred ninety million, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, exactly. So I think that there's a better chance than that, but I just I don't see it happening just because it it wouldn't fit the mo of what this team does. Now, does this team get free agents sometimes? Like guys like Charles Woodson, like when they make a sure, yeah, sure. They'll when they do it, they get an impactful guy. Joe Thomas isn't a free agent, so that changes things quite a bit. Um, yeah, but, but let's get right into the Packers. Let's get into the Packers stuff right away because the more this week rolls on with the injuries you just mentioned, Bakhtiari being questionable, with the more and more stuff coming out about the dysfunction between Mike McCarthy and Aaron Rodgers, and we kind of talked about it six, seven weeks ago before it became a story, and I said they just weren't on the same page, and they clearly aren't. Um, mercifully, I think their season ends on Sunday. I, and I, why I say mercifully is you're not going to fix this dysfunction before this season ends. You can fix it in the off season. You can. You can do some different things personnel-wise. You can have a come-to-Jesus meeting between those two guys, and you can get it worked out. That can happen. You can get healthy over the off season. Uh, 18 guys on the injury report, just ridiculous. But um, not even counting the guys already on IR. Um, so you talk about what they have, 16 guys on IR, 15 on IR. So you're talking more than half your roster either from the opener that's either on IR or listed on the injury report for this week. Okay, that's, that's pretty incredible. And I know it, the Patriots are going through it too, and I know the Packers won a Super Bowl one year when they were wrecked with injuries, but it's still tough to overcome year in and year out. I think things can get fixed because they still have the talent base. But you can't wave a magic wand and fix – you know – you watched pro sports a long time. You know, I've watched it a little bit longer. And there are years where either it's your baseball team or your basketball team or your football team that have higher expectations and have high talent, but they play below that talent level. 
you know, and people go, well, put me below the talent level. They're 11 and five. Yeah, but they're 5 and 6 going down the stretch. And if they were the, this dysfunctional from week one, they probably would have finished 7 and 9. It happens sometimes with good teams that just underperform for whatever reason it is. And at some point in the season, you look at them and you go, okay, they're just not going to be as good as, as they were supposed to be this year. And that's this team. You know, you could they could put all the lip service out there because they're pros and they know how to deal with the media and they know what they're supposed to say. And they could say, yep, we can just turn on the switch and we're going to be good and I think we're going to play well and I think this and I think that. Fine, but the eye test tells you they're not. You've watched the last 11 games, okay? Even if they're able to get by Washington, which I just don't feel they will because of the momentum, they just don't have the momentum. But let's just say they do. Does this look like a Super Bowl team to you right now? Oh no, absolutely not. Not right. Not not with the way they play. Like the first six games of the season, absolutely. Uh, the last ten, no, not at all. Ever since that bye week, ever since uh, whatever, whatever's gone down there, there's cracks that were exposed. And even before that, that San Diego game that they won at the end, um, you know, where mm-hmm. uh, I think it was Demarius Randall that knocked the ball away. You have a simple fact well, that. Well, let me give you another one. Let me give you another one. The San Francisco game they won on the road, where the offense was abysmal. Right. But. So with Colin Kaepernick, and they're able to win. So I mean, there have been there were some warning signs in those first six weeks too. Yeah, absolutely. There, yeah, there were cracks in the in the armor, you know. And 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 I'm, I'm looking at the injury report, and you mentioned. I mean, right now, uh, as of Friday, uh, from yesterday, 18 players were on the injury list, uh, and you it includes the entire. I think if I'm looking at the entire starting offensive line, uh, you Wonderful. have Bak- yeah Bakhtiari, questionable with an ankle. You look at TJ, or let's look at Sitton at left guard. Back, limited, but he's probable. You have Corey Lindsley, ankle. Full participation on Friday, probable. Right guard, TJ Lang, probable. A neck injury, they called it a neck. Rob Domofsky and others reported that he's got a shoulder injury that's going to require it. TJ Lang's banged up, and guy's a warrior. Uh, and, and then you have Brian Bulaga, again, uh, ankle. Problem, mm-hmm. uh, and 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 that's I mean, you know that's part of the problem. But it but you know I think it, like I said it goes more towards and even let's, let's oh real quick too one of their backups Lane Taylor knee full participation but he's probable. Uh, you know it, it's just one of those things where it, you know it's it's a time of the year where everyone gets hurt. You know everyone's still resting injuries. But like you mentioned, I just don't see. Uh, I I think they'll actually part of me. Is, I mean, part of me is I think maybe it's more heart than head. I think that. Green Bay comes away with the win just because uh, they've been there before and they've, you know, Washington, some of those players haven't been in the playoffs or it's just, but then again, I mean, the cousins and, and the Redskins came, come in on a ball of fire. Cousins is playing very well. Uh, he's got the Sean Jackson back. You have the fact that uh, they've performed very well. And it just, uh, you know, over the last course of the season, but I, I don't know. I, I really feel that, I think something will happen. I'm going to say, yeah, I mean, just I know we haven't done predictions yet. I'm going to say Packers win by by three. I'll say like a like I'll say a 24-21 game. I just think that they'll step up, but it's just like I said, I, I think they they can do it. It's just uh, it'll have to be one thing where I mean, and let me just say this too, Scotty. With I mean, Rodgers and them will have and McCarthy have to get on the same page, and then. On top of that, you have. Uh, I, I guess I'm also turned off by some of the quotes that you've you've heard over the past couple of weeks. Oh, we'll show up when it counts. Well, they didn't show up when it counted right. last week. You know, like I think you and right. I talked when about when they this could before. have had a home game. Yeah, when they could have had a home game, that counts. But it didn't count enough for them. Yeah, you know, I, I, my prediction is simply this: Washington's going to win by four. It'll be similar to the Minnesota game. The Packers will get down by ten or more early. They'll come back a little bit. It'll be too little, too late. And then we can talk. Uh, even next week or maybe later on during the postseason about what happens in the offseason, what changes. Is it McCarthy? Is it Rodgers? Is it coaching staff? Because there will be changes. It has to be because this is going to end up being a disappointing season, even though it resulted in a playoff. It didn't result in a division title when they controlled and owned their own destiny. So so anyway, so there's that. Um, but, but but So what do you see? Okay, so I, we made our prediction. I said Washington, you said Packers. Um, I'm hoping you're right, but honestly, at this point, I don't really care one way or the other because there's just too much that needs to be fixed, and, and there just isn't a long playoff run in this team. 
and people can write hate mail to me like they do all the time when I say this thing. Oh, you're not really a Packer fan. I'm, I'm a, I am, but I'm also smart. I can see yeah. the forest inside the trees. I mean, you know, Packer pride and Packer nation and all that stuff only goes so far. You, 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 what do you see on the field? You know, what have you seen on the field? Um, but that being said, let's look at some of the rest of the games real quick. And you talk about a team that's dealt with some injuries. You know, Pittsburgh's dealt with injuries. Uh, at certain points of the year, Ben Roethlisberger missed some time. They lost Le'Veon Bell. Now they've lost D'Angelo Williams, at least for this first week of the season. They're playing a divisional rival. You know how those games always are. They're playing Cincinnati. But Cincinnati has ruled out Andy Dalton. Uh, he will miss the first game of the playoffs. A.J. McCarron takes over there. So I think you, you kind of cancel each other out. You know, missing your quarterback or missing your your top two of your top players, but Pittsburgh still has their quarterback. Cincinnati's played well; they have one of the deepest rosters in in football. But I think not having Dalton, I, I think that's the deciding factor. I think Ben Roethlisberger and his team just have enough to get by Cincinnati uh, in that first game. Your thoughts? I, I really feel with like with I think Pittsburgh's on a, with them getting in the playoffs. I, from what it sounds like, it seems like they've been kind of the team that really has been the – you're looking at the team that maybe people don't want to face heading into the uh, playoffs. I, I think with Dalton, now it's the huge factor. Uh, McCarron's been okay, but uh, the fact that I, I think Pittsburgh – I think Pittsburgh comes away with the win. Uh, Kansas mm-hmm. City and Houston, like, Kansas City's turned it around huge. But I don't know, something's not – I guess my gut's saying Houston in this one. Uh, obviously, you have JJ Watt on the team, and you know it well, makes a difference. That might be why you're, yeah, that might be why your yeah. gut's telling you Houston. Uh, yeah. Hopefully, a book, hopefully a book project too, but that's a different story. Uh, but yeah, no, uh, it, I, I, maybe it's maybe I, but the thing is, I think Kansas City, I think maybe pulls it out. You know, I think, and that's at three twenty or yeah, three twenty today. Well, I'm going to use your own argument about Pittsburgh. You say there's a team you don't want to face. Who's hotter than Kansas City right now? And I know that law of averages says they've got to lose a game here, you know, because they won, what, 10 in a row is it now, or is it 10, I think. But whatever the number is, yeah, eventually a loss is coming, and they're going to be playing good competition the rest of the way out. I think they just have a little bit more than Houston. You know, I think Houston overachieved. Let's be honest. Um, Coming out of the gate, even watching Hard Knocks and coming out of the gate in their first couple of weeks of the season, they looked abysmal. The defense figured it out, and we knew they would. They lost Arian Foss. Think about what both these teams, there's some similarities to both these teams. They're both very good defensively. They both lost their stud, not just good, not just starting, stud running backs, and then got better. Arian Foster goes down, Houston plays better. Jamal Charles goes down, Kansas City goes on a roll. Unfathomable. Two teams that rely on the rushing game, losing their top bell cow running backs, and the offense is getting better. But anyway, that's what happened in both of these teams. Now, Houston, the advantage to Houston is they're going to be playing at home. So I will give them that. But I think when it comes down to quarterback play, and, and please don't misunderstand, I'm not saying that Alex Smith is a you know, five-star court stud quarterback. I'm saying that he's better than, better than Brian Hoyer. And I think all things being equal, you know, Hopkins is a great receiver, I think, uh, you know, for Houston. But I think all things being equal, quarterback play, especially in the playoffs, and how the quarterbacks are playing heading into the playoffs, I think that that's, that, that gives the advantage slightly to Kansas City. And what's going to be a low-scoring game, you know, 21-20, uh, 2019, something like that. But I think Kansas City escapes in what's going to be a very good defensive battle. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think you. I mean, I think Kansas City probably does pull it out. Like I said, obviously, Houston's been in, in, with Indianapolis down this year. Uh, they've taken advantage of the AFC South. Uh, so maybe, maybe it is. It's the two road teams today that takes the that take the take and, the and win I'll, there. And let me tell you this: I think if Clowney had been playing better, because that defense has already played good. Secondary's been great. JJ Watt's amazing. Uh, I think if if you had the clowny you were hoping you'd have, that would have been the thing that could have tipped them because they'd have constant pressure on Smith and they'd make them one-dimensional. But I I think because they haven't had that consistently all year, um, 
I think that, again, those are just some of the factors. And you know what? If the Packers pull off a win, by the way, I really do see a situation where the road teams possibly could go 4-0 and this week. And let's stay on that subject and switch yeah. gears to talk about Minnesota playing at home. I, You know, I said coming in Seattle uh, last week, I said Seattle to me would be my pick for the NFC for the Super Bowl. Now, no Marshawn Lynch. You know, he's been ruled out. Um, and maybe the the only thing that could uh, even the playing field, so to speak, is the frigid cold that is going to hit the Twin Cities. Um but Seattle certainly isn't a team that isn't equipped for cold weather. Minnesota, even though they've played outdoors the last two years, not necessarily a team when you put them together was supposed to be an outdoor team. It was temporary until their stadium gets built, which is going to be an indoor facility. Um, but those weird weather games, which could cause, you know, plays to not go the way that they're supposed to go, could, you know, again, even the playing field. However, because of the experience and the playoff experience and the the big game experience and because of a team that seems to not be harmed by any kind of element, weather-wise, indoor, outdoor, I still think Seattle has a little bit more. Russell Wilson has been amazing uh, the last six, seven, eight weeks of the season even. And I think because of that, I think uh, Seattle wins this game. And I think they could – I, I think if Minnesota could keep it close, but I think Seattle has the opportunity to start this game quick and maybe win this thing going away. And Seattle doesn't take their foot off the gas pedal. I, it's going to be very interesting. Obviously, the temperatures of everyone has made it out, I think. Um, just taking a quick look at weather.com. I mean, as of yesterday, when I checked that weather and you heard people talking about the high was supposed to be only one degree, uh, you know, it's a high one degree above zero. Uh, I think game time temperature, they said one degree below zero is what Michelle Tafoya said on, I think it was the Dan Patrick show. Uh, but, you know, tomorrow, okay, they say they've upped it to four degrees as a high, uh, which, uh, you know, the winds are going to be west out of eight miles per hour, so the wind chill is going to be, I mean, look, hey, it, it's going to be this. cold. Teddy Bridgewater will feel the difference though now between minus one and four. He's got, he, he's got this now because that five degrees, man, let me tell you. It, it it could be the game changer. I'm kidding because I'm the guy who sat out in the stands when the Packers played the 49ers a few years ago, and the temperature <laughs> rose three degrees. And I, you could have fooled me. But anyway, <laughs> I, no matter what, no matter what the forecast is, it's brutal. It's going to be absolutely brutal. Absolutely, and I just uh, going forward. I, I I think obviously Seattle's got the talent, but you said Marshawn Lynch isn't in there. Uh, the Seattle defense is. Stingy and they're obviously they're they're very high quality, but I don't know. Like you have Adrian Peterson running there, and it, it, this is going to be a running type game. It's going to be one of those bruising ones where the kicking game might be influenced by the, how hard the ball is. You know, and, I, and just in all phases of the game, that ball becomes a brick when you're trying to throw the ball, when you're trying to catch it. Uh, it I, I think the running games become more. Uh, I think Seattle wins, but I think Minnesota gives them more of a challenge than you think just due to the fact that you have Adrian Peterson. If he, they can actually get some, open some holes, and if the players aren't acclimated on both sides, if something, I think, obviously, I think turnovers obviously can play a factor, too. But I, I sure. think Seattle wins. Uh, and to be honest with you, I think, yeah, I think all four road teams win, uh, which uh, probably, I don't know what the record is for that, but uh, it could be one of those weekends where home field advantage is not in anyone's favor. Well, I know when I looked at the lines Thursday morning, and they may have changed. All four teams are favored. All four road teams are favored. So, um, not by astronomical spreads, but they were all favored. So, it could be a historic uh, first round. Okay, so let's talk about what's coming up next week. We're going to have a podcast that's going to feature Packer Talk, and we're going to have a wrestling-related podcast. We're going to have an NXT preview and a BCW Rise to Honor preview. And some of this is on the fly here because uh, I don't think I told you this, but I did confirm uh, promoter Frankie the Thumper DeFalco and Matt Winchester for a few minutes on that day. And I know you're working on some huge surprises, which I'll let you announce when you feel that you have, it's worth announcing. But it's going to be a lot of fun. Hopefully we're talking about a pack of win, man. But I'm telling you, I just I, – the eye test, the, the gut test, it just – I'm not feeling it, man. It's going to be tough uh, to see, but if they can come out, I mean, I think either way the season will end before they uh, reach Santa Clara. 
for the Super Bowl. But on uh, that note, too, we got about 30 seconds left. Thank you guys again. Uh, and, yeah, we'll have some fun uh, next week. We have a lot of wrestling, NXT preview. We'll also we talk. We need to get Wes on for that, don't we? Yeah, I'm going to get in touch with him to talk some NXT, make sure he's going to the one in Green Bay. Uh, but uh, from that, uh, just want to thank Rent College Pads again. Make sure you guys go to rentcollegepads.com for uh, just looking for houses in and around the Madison market. We'll see you guys later. Doza Bachenia. Uh, and we'll be back with more stuff on the Kielbasa King Sports Extravaganza brought to you by Rent College Pads. And uh, so, yeah, uh, guys enjoy. And uh, hopefully we'll get some special wrestling guests on too. Uh, but other than that, brother, you have a good day, my friend. You too, you too. I'll be in Rubicon tonight wrestling. I'll miss part of that second playoff game, but it is what it is. Understandable. But you guys take care. Have a wonderful weekend. Those of Chenya. We'll see you guys soon. Accordion solo, American Polka, played by Mr. John J. Kimball, Edison Record. (laughs) ¶¶ 